In this passage, Jesus Christ sets the example. He, um, he, he, uh, he says that he did not come, alright, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his, what? His life as a ransom for many. And so it is with us. Jesus didn't call us and save us so that others will serve us. But he saved us so that we could serve others. So we could step into their lives. In fact, that is how he says you are to become great in his kingdom. That, that's totally different from what we, we have within our world, within our culture, from the way our world looks at life. In our world, it's about having power, isn't it? Uh, over others. It's, it's, in this world that we, it's, it, it's about having others come and serve you. And here we see Jesus, he's kind of turning our world upside down by, he says, he's coming to serve. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He says, I'm coming here to serve you. He is, he's this perfect example of what it means to lead others by serving them. Here's the thing. We should all be in the serving business as followers of Christ. I appreciate what Dr. Jeff Myers says in his book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. We've been doing that in my life class on Sunday mornings, and we're going through and trying to understand how we respond to the different worldviews that are going are bombarding us within our culture. And he says this, he goes, The Christian worldview calls us to invest in others. Not because they've been found fit to serve, or to be uh, fit to survive, or they're worthy of it, or because they they help can help spark a revolution, or because it makes us feel at one with the universe, or because we, uh, God will punish them if we don't, you know, punish punish us if we don't help them. But he says this: No, 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 no. That's not what it is. He goes: We need to invest. We need to, in a sense, serve others, invest in them, because selfless love is the only way to change hearts, theirs and ours. God does something. There's a work that takes place in people's lives and our own life when we choose to follow Christ's example and serve others. Now, in the first part of Matthew 20, Jesus uh, he tells a parable earlier in this chapter that we just, part of the verses that we read from. And he tells this parable about some laborers who are hired to work in the vineyard. You, you probably know this, this parable. The landowner, he hires some people in the morning, and he hires people in the midday, and he hires people later in the day. And so the landowner decides at the end of the day to pay everyone the same wage, regardless of how long they've worked in the fields. Well, those who were hired first, well, they, they started to complain because they didn't think it was fair. And so Jesus concludes his teaching by saying this in verse 16. So the, the, you got to get a big picture of what's going on here in this passage. And so the disciples, you know, they listen to this parable and they listen to Jesus' teaching and he says this, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Hmm. That's not the way our world speaks. And so Jesus is kind of laying down this groundwork. And then in verse 19, we see that Jesus was headed to Jerusalem to face suffering. So now they continue on, and, and as he's engaging them in conversation here, 
They're, they're, they're heading to Jerusalem, and he knows that he's going to face suffering and death. And he, and he took the disciples aside as they're going along on this journey. And he, and he told them this. He goes, uh, uh, that he would be mocked, he's going to be flogged, all right, and crucified. Then on the third day, he will be raised to life. And they're thinking, hmm, wow, I, 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 that's in, what? What? This doesn't sound like what we are thinking you should be doing. And, and as we come now to verse this 20 that we just read, we see that the disciples were not understanding. They're not understanding what Jesus was saying. What he had called them to as followers of him. And so the, the first thing we see that the disciples did not understand about their call as, as we begin to read now through the rest of this text about their, this call to be God's servants, that they are to be servants of God, all right, that servants of God need to have the right motive. Look, look back, you know, when you look at verses 20, 21, we see that their, their motive here is all messed up. What, what is so, so important about their faith in Jesus Christ is that is that is that we as we live it for Him, we need to do it with the right motives. And they were not they were not getting that. They were not seeing that from the life of Jesus. And here we read that the mother of James and John came to Jesus, and there's something. And she kneels down. So there's there's this aspect that it's cultural here. She's kneeling down to ask a favor of Jesus. And now this mother's name is thought to be Salome, and so there's some speculation that that possibly this this woman the the mother of Zebedee's sons is is um is an aunt of Jesus and so when we compare this account with Mark's version James and John they are eager they're saying yes mom go do this for us we want you you want you to make the case you know maybe maybe they knew that they have a better chance you know Better chance with Jesus if she made the, the request, you know, she's Aunt Salome, by the way. And when you see this phrase of, of kneeling down, what you, you're seeing is that the mother is, she's following this very common protocol. First she respects and she honors Jesus and then asks for a, a favor. So she begins with this general request and then she's ready, ready with her, with her answer when Jesus asks, what is it you want? What is it you want? And so she responds. She says, Grant that one of these two sons of mine sits at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, before we get too hard on mom here, all right, uh, we need to remember that Jesus did say in Matthew 19, 28, that at the renewal of all things, earlier he says, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, you who have followed me, and he's speaking to the disciples, all right, you will follow me, also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So there, there's an understanding here of that what these, there's going to be some great rewards, and uh, that, that these disciples who are following Jesus are going to get in eternity. And she got that part right. But here's the thing, her method was kind of clouded. Because of her and her son's motives, they, they're mixed up. They're mixed up. I like what uh, Bible scholar Warren Wearsby, he, he said this of these two, uh, actually of these three, he goes, but in particular these two, two, two disciples, he goes, Jesus spoke about a cross, but they were interested in a crown. 
And so often that is the case, isn't it? God, Jesus calls us to this, this relationship which involves the dying to ourselves and taking up our cross daily. And a lot of times we look beyond the cross and we look to the crown. So it's easy for, for our motives to get out of alignment. James and John, they were interested in glory. They were interested in position, alright, and, and rank. They wanted to be the closest to Jesus in, 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 in the eternal kingdom and, and, and they wanted to high, be higher than anyone else. And their mother desired the, you know, the best for them as any mother would. All right, but all three of them wanted God's will done, but they wanted God's will done in their own way. In their own way. Isn't this how we tend to relate to Jesus sometimes? He calls us to something, but we want to do it in our own way rather than His way. And here's the truth. If we want God to use us, all right, and if we want God to use us together for great things, we must first learn to check our motives. As best we can, we, we really need to get, get our reason for serving straightened out. Really understand why, why, what's, what's, what's all involved in this relationship we have with Jesus Christ and what He calls us to. It is the Lord God we serve. We don't serve to impress others or gain power or to gain favor with God or or, or to get my own way. We serve because He's called us to this relationship. One of service, one to another. Often I I ask myself, and I I try to do it regularly, uh, I, I say, Mark, what's your motive here, man? What's driving you here? You're pushing, you're pushing, and what is it? What is it? I want to keep my heart in check. And sometimes I find that I, sometimes there's some selfishness that jumps in there. There's a ulterior motives that jump in there. You know, and I come in, in, in these 30 some years of marriage, uh, marriage, a ministry. I, 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 you know, I, I've really, I continue, I have to address this in my own life. Keep the motives right. Keep the motives right. Because, you know, as, as, as I've grown deeper in love with Him, yeah, I've come to realize, man, I just, the way to do ministry and the way to be about what God's doing is, is to be, all right, about what He wants to accomplish and not about what Mark wants to accomplish. The second thing I think they had a hard time here figuring out is this, is that servants of God uh, expect difficulty. This is the reality. After uh, the mother here boldly makes this request, Jesus responds, and he responds directly now to to the uh, James and John, and he says, "Don't you know what you are? At? You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink?" Now, understanding, you know, the word cup here was a symbol of suffering and affliction, and you'll see that throughout all of Scripture. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed in Matthew 26, 39. He says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as what? You will, right? And then in John 18, 11, Jesus says to Peter, Put away your sword. Peter wanted to defend Jesus. He slices off the, the ear of the, of the high priest. And, says, and, and, and Jesus responds, Hold on a second. Put away your sword. 
Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus understood suffering is is part of this reality of a relationship with God because we live in a sin-cursed world and the enemy, all right, is at battle with what God's plans are. Now, it's important to note that both James and John answered this, this question with a complete confidence. They said, we can, we can, we will. And Jesus reinforces this when he says in verse Verse 23, you will indeed drink from my cup. See, they, they wanted glory. But now Jesus kind of turns some things upside down for them. He tells them, get ready for some grief. Not a thing we like to hear, is it? Right? When it comes to serving Jesus and God. We don't always know in advance how much we're going to suffer. We do know that if we are serious, though, here's the thing, we're serious about following Christ, all right? We step into people's life. There's going to, along with that, there will come some difficulty. We will face difficulty. Philippians Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for him. This is the reality of the of the of a relationship with God living in this sin cursed world that we live in. If you're serving in ministry, if you're stepping into the lives of people around you, and I hope that you are, and we give you opportunities, and most importantly, the Lord I think gives us opportunities. But if you're stepping into people's lives, chances are you've already experienced some difficulty. It, 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 it's that reality. If you haven't yet, you will. All right. One thing I've learned to be clear about now when sharing about repenting and trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin is that it's not to promise that the Christian life will be trouble free. It will cost you to trust and, and to serve Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ and serving Him is often a struggle. But here's the hope. It is every bit worth it. Every bit worth it. This this relationship with God that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ, it changes you. It changes you now, but it also changes you for eternity. And there's a hope for eternity that we have that is every bit worth it. First Corinthians 158 says this, and this is, you know, maybe you struggle with this. I encourage you to take this verse and memorize it, but it says, therefore, my dear brother, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not worthless. It has, it has unbelievable eternal value. So important. So servants, we need, as, as we look to serve together, we need to understand this reality that there is suffering that's part of that. There's a third thing that these disciples, they were having a hard time comprehending, and that is this, is that servants of God put others first. After checking our motives and expecting difficulty, this third truth is, is important to understand because now this is where the practicality comes. If we want God to use us together for great things, uh, 
is we have to be servants who put others first. Um, in case you're wondering how the other ten felt, the other ten disciples, you saw in the passage there, they weren't really excited about what James and John had done here, trying to grab the power positions. And we read in verse 24, it says, When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. The word indignant means to be greatly afflicted. Others, they were ticked off. They were ticked off. They, they, they were, they were, uh, they were, uh, kind of like, man alive, what are you two doing here? And they were not going to give up these top spots without a fight. And what's, I think, important to understand, to see here is that they weren't indignant by the brothers' lack of understanding of sermon. Hey guys, come on! That's not what God's called us. That's what Christ has called us to. No, they, they were mad, alright, that the other two got to Jesus before they did. <laughs> So the spiritual attitude of the ten was not any better than the spiritual attitude of the two. And here we see, here's the thing. Selfishness always results in discord. Always results in discord. When we think only of ourselves, community breaks down. And unity is replaced with division. Backbiting. And critical spirit. That's why one of the best things we could do as a church is to serve together. I'm getting excited about this fall for a cause thing. I, I, I think opportunity for us to get out into the community and do something and then do something overseas and the combination of it. I, I, I'm, I'm excited for this. Because see, we as a church, we come together and we're we're not only serving here, and yes, we need to be serving in the church, but you need to have a, a serving outside the church too. Where you're stepping into other people's lives because a church that serves together, here's the thing, a church that serves together, they stay together. They do great things together for God. And that's what Jesus does here in the, first, the next year in the first part of verse 25. He calls them together. You see that? He calls them together. That's exactly what needs to happen when there's tension and strife. We need to come together and, and say, okay, God, this is about you. He knows they're being self-centered and he calls them together. He doesn't take the two brothers aside and say, you guys, you idiots. <laughs> what are you doing? Come on. He doesn't, he doesn't bash them or he doesn't take the ten and say, hey, come on, follow, you know, what, what's up here? No, in fact, you know, he brings them together. He brings them back together in community and then he gives them this lesson in how differently things are to be run in his kingdom. This is about his kingdom. There's this drastic contrast of the servanthood mindset of our Savior and the world system that we live in. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Come on, just look at the world. Look at how they... That's not... You you know what that leads to. And their high officials exercise authority. The world's way teaches that we should spend all our energy to get to the top. And then we, when we get there, well, we can boss everybody around. And Jesus said, no. See... The Gentiles, the disciples, they knew this. They were living in this. History was filled with evil kings and brutal leaders who showed little regard 
for the Jewish people. And when Jesus reminded them that, that seeking power was a Gentile, or it's a, that's a pagan way, he was telling them, this is, this is not you. This is not what I called you. This is not what I saved you from. He says, not so with you. A Christ follower must not operate this way. This, the, the meaning is, it shall not be. It must not be. It must not be. And so in the family, the thing we see is that in the family of God, there's, there's only one category of people. And it's called servants. Servants. Notice the rest of this verse. Verse 27 says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. You've got to grab a hold of those words there. Uh, he's kind of turning the world upside down from the culture that they live in. This was, this was radical teaching for Jesus to define greatness in the terms of servanthood because, see, slaves were considered to be socially inferior. And, and he said, no, this is what we are called to. If disciples want to be leaders in the kingdom of God, they first had to become servants. Servants. And so here's the principle. If we want to become truly great in God's kingdom, then we must give up personal rights and serve others on behalf of God. And God has called us to be, He has called us to be His hands and His feet, pointing others to Him as we show His love to them and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. There's a last thing here, and I want to leave you with, and then the team's going to come and close us with a song. But is that servants of God follow the example of Jesus. Jesus uh, does not challenge us to put others first and then stand by and watch. See if it does. See if we do it. Instead, he lives it out. He offers himself as the perfect role model. He says, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the thing you've got to grab a hold of. This verse has been rightly regarded as one of the greatest of Christ's teaching. Jesus is both our example and our motivation. And he wasn't focusing on keeping his position and getting more. He served the needs of others and then demonstrated it in the ultimate act when he died on the cross for our sins. To pay that debt to Christ. And here's, here's the truth that Jesus read. Servanthood is the responsibility of those who follow him. In John 13, is, that was read earlier, we, we see the example. Jesus gives this example when he washes his, at the Last Supper with his, with his disciples. He washes their feet. And, and that, was, that was a slave role again. That was a servant role. And now he, he gets up and he takes on that role. And he, he, he says this in verse 14 of that chapter, verse 14 and 15. Now, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And here's the thing. This wasn't about washing feet, but this was about serving. That was a, that was a cultural thing that had to be done in that time. And it was a servant role, but he, he did, uh, he, he stepped into a, a cultural serving role to give them an example that they need to serve and do that out of a heart of love 
desire to share Jesus Christ, Him, with others. This past Monday, I got a test on uh, whether I really believe what I was going to preach today. You see, uh, you can tell if you really believe something by what you do. You ever think about that? Whenever I sit down and counsel with someone, you know, I want to encourage them. They'll tell me what they believe, what they truly believe. But ultimately, I watch their actions. <laughs> Does change come? Because, see, your behavior will always reveal what you truly believe in your heart. You can say a lot of things, but what you live out ultimately reveals what you believe in your heart. And I came in Monday morning, and so I came in here, and I'm busy thinking about all the different things, and i got to get that 150 thing up, you know, or celebrate 150, whatever, and get the why, you know, and I've been delayed on that, and i got to make sure this happens. And, and I got, I, Monday morning is my checklist morning. You know, I'm going to do, 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 right? And i got to make sure you all pick up your bulletins before you leave, don't leave place in mass, you know. Do my walkthrough. And all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. Darling, you know we have a doorbell? And uh, and I go to the front door. And so I walk up to the door, and there's this pregnant woman outside. And she looks kind of beat up. And I'm thinking, I'm the only one in the building. Oh, okay, uh, I'll step outside. It's a nice day still. So, and she uh, she uh, she starts. She goes, uh, I just I just been walking the railroad tracks and I ended up here and uh, I just left my uh, boyfriend's house uh, he's being abusive, beat me up and I just had to get out of there I need help and so I'm thinking she goes, I stopped at the guys across the street they sent me over to you <laughs> thank you guys and so I'm thinking all these things are running through my mind. Okay, what, well, you know, I might make sure what, you know, and here, she's pregnant. Yep. And she's looks like she's had not a good night. It's been a long night and she's walked the railroad tracks. And that's not a fun thing, you And so I says, I says, okay, what do you need? I says, uh, you know, how can I help you? And that kind of thing. What, what needs to happen? And so she, uh, she, she says, well, I need to get to my, I'm from Saginaw and I need to get my grandmother's. Can I get a ride to my grandmother's? I said, well, give me a second. I'm thinking, where's Kim? I need my assistant, Kim. Where's Kim? You know, all that Kim driver, you know, and all this kind of stuff. She's not going to be in for another hour. I'm thinking, okay, here we go. And uh, so I, I walk in. I, I said to her, she's probably wondering, he's weird. Okay. And I, it's just, I say, hey, can you just give me a minute? So I walk back in the building and I start praying. Okay, God, what do you do? You know, and I, I walk and I, and I walk back out and I says. I think the guy's at March. She's pregnant. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I go back. Do you trust me to give you a ride? Because you just came out of an abusive situation. Do you trust me? Oh, I trust you. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll give you a ride. And so she jumps in the van, and we head down to downtown Pontiac to her grandmother's house. And for the next 20 minutes, we talk. She needs Jesus. And she needed to be served in the moment. <laughs> Right? And so often we, we make ministry about a program. 
We make ministry about, hey, what's, what's we're going to do next? And, and, you know, and it's got to be all about numbers and, uh, or whatever. And you know what it really is? Serve one another. Serve one another. It's about one person that God brings into your life, right? And I'm praying for her this week. I've been praying for her all week and I'm praying she'll call me back and I want to get her connected in a church. And she, we just talked through a lot of things. I said, you really need to get back into a church. And she, she's just in a cycle of abuse. And, I tell you, this world's a needy world, isn't it, folks? Right? It's, a, it's a needy world, and it needs us as a church stepping into their lives, together doing great things for Him. And here's the thing I want to leave you with, and that was the, here are four action steps I want you. First of all, you've got to serve whenever you can, whenever you can, step into it. Secondly, you've got to serve wherever you can, all right? Wherever you can. We got opportunities and we're giving you things for you to step into. But ultimately, God, I think if you are willing and you have a heart, He, He just opens the door. He, you don't have to worry about finding things. If you have eyes that are open and a heart that is sensitive and wants to be about what God's doing, He, He will, He will give you opportunities and then serve. Here's the third thing. Serve whoever God leads you to serve. Sometimes they come and they ring on your front door bell, right? And then fourthly, be willing. Here's the thing. Be willing to do whatever it takes. Be willing to make the sacrifice. Be willing to step. Be willing to pay the cost. Because God wants to, God's called us to this. And this is how, how He accomplishes the work. He accomplishes it through us to to do greater things and see people added to the family of God so that they will have a hope and they will have an eternity. Eternity. And I tell you, when a church, here's the thing, when a church has individuals who start saying, instead of saying, I want, and they say, I will, and, and we move to, we want, to, we will, we will see God do greater and greater things. He will continue to add to His work in our midst. He will continue to add people into our our family. He will continue to use us in greater and greater ways. And that's what I call you to.